Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I hope everyone's okay. Haven't we had fun already? It's been great. Um, so I am going to be continuing our series uh, on discipleship this morning, which I'm very excited to do. And uh, we're going to have a look this morning um, about what it means to lead as a disciple of Jesus. And um, I just want to start, if that's okay, with a little story. Um, I want to share a recent story from kids' work. Um, It's just so great, isn't it, to share stories of what uh, God's been doing amongst us. Um, And I get the privilege of of seeing what the kids are up to on quite a regular basis. Um, And uh, Pauline Douglas and I were on um, the, we were with the older group a couple of weeks ago, um, the Ignite group. And we asked them the question, what is church? And um, we got the kids to start by simply drawing a picture. So we kind of left it deliberately vague. We just said, right, draw a picture of church just to see what they would come up with. And what was really interesting is that the common thing in all of their pictures was that they drew a group of loads of people. And I just really got me thinking that actually the kids, they totally get That church is not a building, it's not a place, it's a group of people. And one of them actually said, when I think about Sunday, I don't think about going to church. I think about going to see my family and hanging out together and worshipping Jesus. I just thought, amazing, that's such a great picture, isn't it, of church. And really, I was just thinking, as Jubilee, what we've prioritised and valued and sewed into, in terms of making family one of our cultural values, has also been released amongst the children. Now, we haven't kind of explicitly taught our values. We haven't done like a mini-series with the kids on Jubilee values. But I feel like they get it. It feels like kind of they're the barometer, really, of our culture here. And it's just really interesting to see what they're picking up on and what they're learning to emulate. So today, I want to draw together some of the things that God, as Rob said, has been teaching me um, about being family together, really, as we grow as disciples of Jesus and how we can stay connected to the Father and help others to do the same. We've seen, haven't we, in our series so far on discipleship, how Jesus gives us this wonderful invitation to follow him, to be his disciples to give all that we have over to him and let him lead us. And as I've reflected on this, the father has been highlighting to me how being a disciple is not just something that changes my life. It is something that can have a profound effect on those around me. And I feel like there's a call for us today to recognise that the mandate to follow Christ is also a mandate to lead. If you're a disciple of Jesus today, you're a leader. As we follow Jesus, we make way for others to follow too. Our lives affect others, whether we recognise it or not. And the reality is that we multiply others who look and sound like us in our different areas of influence, just like how the kids are living out our Jubilee culture, probably without even realising it. The truth is, what's inside comes out. It's what we model to others. 
And effective leaders have a hunger to grow and become healthy spiritually and emotionally. I believe that God wants to make us bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. As he builds that secret place in us where it's just us and him. In order for him to lead us into making a visible impact in the world. We know, don't we, that God doesn't look at outward appearances or short-term success. He looks at our heart and he's looking for fruit that lasts. I wonder if uh, maybe we're often in a hurry to start impacting people before God has sufficiently impacted us on the inside. God has given every one of us a measure of influence with others, whether that's in our families, within our friendships, at work, everywhere we go, the places that we are as we live out our calling that God has put on our lives. And we are called to use this influence to lead people into a place of life and strength and wholeness and freedom as we disciple others out of the place of being discipled ourselves by Jesus. One of the things that God has been teaching me in my journey of discipleship is that perfection is not a requirement to lead. Growth is. The Father doesn't require me to be the best at whatever I'm doing. He wants my heart. And sometimes I kind of have caught myself praying that I would be the best version of myself in, uh, in whatever situation it is. But a friend challenged this and said, we're not called to be the best version of ourselves. We're called to be more like Jesus. And I just found that so freeing, trying to be the best version of me. It just it kind of feels ever changing. It's a bit elusive and a bit vague. How do I know if I've obtained it? It feels very reliant on me and my efforts. But growing more like Jesus means that I get to hang out with him and talk to him about everything that's going on and let his spirit grow me on the inside to look more like him. And this happens in the secret place, the place where it's just Jesus and me, the place where he can develop a kind of hidden history that's marked by intimacy with the Father, dependence, faith, rest. And that's the place that I want to learn to lead others from as a disciple of Jesus. Matthew 12, verse 34, puts it this way. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. What's inside comes out. It's what we model to others. So how can we store up good things as disciples of Jesus so that the overflow of our hearts does those around us good? How do we take seriously the responsibility of being a disciple and a leader so that we can produce healthy thriving environments as we disciple others as they follow Jesus. Well, we're going to have a look at what Jesus teaches his first disciples to prioritise as he prepares them 
to make a visible impact on the world. So we're going to read a passage from Mark chapter 3. So if you want to turn that up, it will come up on the screen as well. And uh, just before I just read that, um, just to say in the book of Mark so far as having a little read through the previous chapters, and Mark gives us a couple of snapshots of uh, the specific calling of two of uh, well, actually three of his disciples that we then get to hear about in a minute in the next part. So in chapter one, Jesus calls the brothers, Simon, Peter and Andrew, who are the fishermen. And we've heard that their story, haven't we, before in our series. So Jesus says those famous words, come follow me and I will make you fishes of men. And they instantly just drop their nets and they go and follow Jesus. And then in Mark chapter two, Jesus calls Levi, who is Matthew, and he's sitting at his tax collector's booth. And again, Jesus says, come and follow me. And he gets up and he goes and follows him. They're just doing their everyday normal things. And then in chapter three, a large crowd has started to gather around Jesus and these first disciples. So we're going to pick it up at verse seven. So Mark three, verse seven. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Shall we pray? Father, I just thank you so much for this picture of the disciples that we get, this glimpse into them and Jesus and their time together. And Father, I just thank you that they are just really ordinary guys. Thank you that they've just been going about doing their ordinary life. And Jesus, you called them. Thank you that they even have nicknames. Lord Jesus, we can really relate to them. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, as we look at this now, you would speak to each of us. Lord, we just consciously and intentionally focus our gaze on you again, Father. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts and do us good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Okay, so we see then in this passage how the word has got out and the popularity of Jesus was growing. And as he withdraws with his disciples to the lake, a crowd follow. 
And then loads of other people come from Galilee and Judea and all those regions listed in verse 8. And on this occasion, there are so many people that Jesus asks the disciples to go and sort out a little boat, presumably for him to sit in so that he can then teach the crowd on the shore. He also heals the sick and drives out demons, although he doesn't allow them to speak since that would divulge his true identity, which could perhaps lead to misunderstanding before he's ready to make himself known. From this crowded place of busy ministry, in the public eye, teaching, healing, driving out demons, Jesus withdraws to a quiet place in verse 13. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him, those he wanted, and they came to him. Jesus specifically calls the 12 disciples out of the larger crowd to a quiet place. The first thing he wanted was for them to be with him. Listen again to verse 14. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him. Yes, The disciples are also appointed to preach and drive out demons. But before they would be ready to be sent out, before they could see communities transformed, cities impacted and culture shaped, they had to spend time with Jesus and learn to pattern their lives on him. He called them first to be with him. How often the enemy tempts us with a shortcut, a kind of quick answer to seeing the dreams God's put in our hearts realised. To rush on ahead without first putting our roots down deep into God, spending time alone with him, letting him build a firm foundation in our lives. If our dreams rely on our natural capabilities, rushing around, doing things in our own strength, rather than the place of utter dependence on the Father, then I wonder if we're dreaming big enough. Shouldn't we be living lives that are utterly impossible to live without the power of Jesus at work? When we step out in things beyond our natural capabilities, God gets the glory. I remember the zealousness of my youth when I became a Christian as a teenager. And I honestly remember thinking that now I'd found Jesus, I was pretty sorted. I had so much to learn. I still have so much to learn. Following Jesus means that I feel out of my depth all the time. It's a journey that just continually brings me face to face with my insecurities, weaknesses and inadequacies. Being a disciple of Jesus is really not the easy option. And as a teenager, I quite quickly learnt that I wouldn't get anywhere without first letting Jesus change me and grow me on the inside by spending time with him. When Jesus called his disciples to a quiet place to be with him, his goal was not to pass on information. It was to impart who he was and reproduce himself in them. 
his strategy, if you like, for raising up disciples who would take the gospel into all the world was come and be with me. Let me show you who I am and what I'm all about. And leading and discipling others must come from that place of being with Jesus, from our own personal encounters with him. He wants us to connect with him, to stay connected and to go on being connected. And this is the secret place lifestyle that Jesus modelled to his first disciples. They were like constantly getting up or waking up and suddenly finding that Jesus had disappeared. He'd stayed up late or he'd gone off early to find a solitary place to pray. And for us too, the Father wants to develop that secret place lifestyle in us. The time of day, the context, that will all look different. But the key ingredient is getting away from the crowds to be alone with the Father. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. What one thing comes to mind today? that helps you to connect with the Father in this way. This isn't a heavy, legalistic, do more instruction from Jesus. It's an invitation to connect again with the life and rest that we only find in him. So for me, I find it helps if I sit on the floor. I don't know whether there's something about that, just me reminding myself that I'm his daughter And that I can just put down the busyness of the day. It will be different for you. It could be putting worship music on or going to a certain chair, certain room. What one thing helps you to connect with the Father? The reward of intimacy with our Father happens in the secret place. Our outer public world is easier to deal with. It's more kind of measurable and visible. But when we invest in our private world, the secret place that Jesus is describing here, we really get to know our father and what he's like. The things he cares about and the way that he does things begins to rub off on us. We encounter his heart and thoughts and this shapes the way that we live and think and dream. We become more concerned with his priorities and making his name famous over and above everything else. Remember, that's why Jesus called on the mountainside those that he wanted to come to him in Mark 3, so that they might be with him, to learn what he was like, to think and act like he did. God always develops us before he develops our vision. Dreams that God puts in our hearts are way bigger than us. And ultimately, we are not called to be passionate about a dream, but about Jesus and his cause on the earth. So the most strategic thing you can ever do with your life is to plant it in the secret place with God. Everything that we will ever need is found in the presence of God. It is there that we find the reason that we were created. 
more than fulfilling a job or a calling for him. God called you to be his child. And this is the place that lasting fruit is grown and cultivated. Fruit is not measured by activity or performance. Fruit means that when people encounter your life, they encounter Jesus. In John 15, verses 4 to 5, Jesus says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So in the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, we can't bear fruit unless we're connected to Jesus. I've shared before how my kind of default in life is to do. I'm a natural doer. I like to get things done. And I I kind of find that my time fills up very quickly. But what I'm learning and continuing to learn is that if I let this mindset lead me, then very quickly I end up running around doing things in my own strength and then evaluating the kind of success of any given day based on how productive. I feel that I've been. Me running around in my own strength does not produce the much fruit that Jesus is talking about here. The fruit that is lasting and brings life to others comes out of a place of being connected to Jesus the vine. And our heart is our point of connection with Jesus. To remain in him means to prioritise and nurture this heart-to-heart connection. It's a picture of continuing in a daily, authentic relationship with Jesus. God doesn't expect to build trust just on what we've heard about him, but on personal encounter. When we don't hear his voice, our hearts and spirits starve. Remaining in Jesus means setting up our lives so that we are always tuning into his voice. It means, above everything else, being with Jesus, like those first disciples on the mountainside, learning to pattern our lives on him, thinking like he thinks, wanting what he wants, speaking like he speaks, doing the things that he does. And the fruit that is cultivated in this place is not minimal, it's not temporary, it's abundant and it's enduring. Verse 16 of the John 15 passage says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This is the kind of fruit I want to see grow out of the secret place as I lead as a disciple of Jesus. So being a disciple means being a leader. As we follow Jesus, we are making way for others to follow too. And the influence of healthy, thriving leaders who know that their first calling is to be with Jesus, developing this secret place lifestyle where their roots grow deep into him, produce healthy, thriving, discipling environments. 
And this is key. Everything that we learn and receive from the Father in the secret place is for us to release in others. That's what makes us leaders. So I want to finish today by sharing a practical tool that we can use to multiply what God has grown in us in the specific areas that he's been releasing us in. Leaders release leaders. So as we look at this tool, I want you to keep asking the Holy Spirit who and what. Who does God want you to lead today? Who does he want you to release? Who does he want you to spend time with so that the things that he's imparted to you and is growing in you in the secret place can then be released in them also? What has he been teaching you about? What area of serving have you been growing in recently? Maybe you'd find it helpful to think of a team that you're currently serving on. And there'll be some examples on the screen. What is God teaching you in that area that he wants you to release in others? And the key to this tool is that we use it as a way to release what God has grown in us over time in the secret place. It's not about merely passing on information or copying others. Remember, there are no shortcuts. This tool is a way, really, I like to think of it as giving us a vocabulary to describe what God has grown in us over time, in the hidden places, when it's just been him and us. But it's also a two-way tool. So we can use it to learn from others. There's no end point, is there, to growing as a disciple? So think about how you could use it to learn from others around you as well. So the tool is called the Leadership Square, and it will come up on the screen for us. So I'm going to explain it from both the perspective of the learner, if you like, who is being released, and and also the leader who is releasing the other person. So the first part of the square is number one, watch. So as the learner in that part of the square, we watch and observe the person who is leading. And the key to this is we ask questions. So even as we're watching, maybe we might want to write some questions down. So, for example, you might say, oh, I noticed you did this at this point. You know, so if I was if I was watching Tom leading worship this morning, I might say, oh, Tom, you, you, you went really quiet at that point. Why did you do that? What were you thinking there? Or, you know, if I was watching somebody leading um, the kids in one of the kids groups and then they suddenly broke them down into smaller groups, I might say, oh, what, what did you do that for then? What, what were you thinking at that point? And actually, sometimes the person that we're watching might not know straight away because it's become so intuitive to them. So actually, it's really helpful for them, too. It's a helpful point for both people to grow. And the leader can ask, ah, okay, what did the Holy Spirit say to me at that moment that made me respond in that way? So when we've had some watching time, we then move on to the sharing. So the second part is share. And this is where you get to have a go together. And in this part of the process, you would plan together and co-lead whatever it is that you're doing. So there'd be loads of discussion there beforehand, during the leading and also after. And this part of the square is characterised by encouragement. It's an opportunity for the leader to build courage 
in the other person and call stuff out that they can see God is growing in them over time. And you would kind of camp out at this stage for quite a while before moving on to the third stage, which would be doing. So when you're ready, you'd get to the third stage, do. And this is where full responsibility is given to the other person. They're the one learning to lead in whatever context it is. And this is probably the hardest part for the original leader. Because let's face it, other people are never going to do things like we do. So the key questions to ask as the leader in that point is, when do I intervene and what's the impact if I don't? And that can kind of depend really on the setting often. So a smaller setting, it might be more appropriate to talk about things afterwards. A larger setting, it might be a little nudge, a little conversation as as that person's leading. And again, that's where the Holy Spirit will lead us as we talk to him. And in this part of the square, the do, this is where a culture of honour is so important. Remember, in a culture of honour, we value obedience over performance. And knowing people is so important. It's got to be done out of relationship. Any feedback we give must be relational and based on principles, not just kind of personal preference. And actually, as leaders ourselves, we can model that. So we can model it by asking for feedback when we need something. So you could ask somebody, oh, is there anything that you would have done differently? Or you could kind of let people in on, kind of say, oh, you know, I really wanted to lead people this morning into the truth that God is good. How do you think I did on that? And again, it's that place of being honoured and out of relationship. After the third part of the square comes the fourth part, teach. So over time, after full responsibility to lead in a particular area has been given to us and we're continuing to grow, this is when we're ready to start the process again with somebody else and teach them. So we'll leave that up on the screen. I hope that is a a helpful tool for you. And remember, don't think of it as a formula. It's a way of releasing others and learning to be released ourselves in the area that God is growing each of us in. Perfection is not a requirement to lead. Growth is. So I'd love to end just by praying for us. So shall we stand together? Let's just focus on the Father again. Yeah, Father, I thank you that the call to be a disciple of Jesus is also a call to lead. And Father, so often we feel a bit scared by that. We feel a bit ill-equipped. We don't feel very able. But I just thank you so much that that is a good place to begin because it drives us to you. I thank you that just like those first disciples that you called away from the bigger crowd to have that quiet time away with you, I thank you that that is the pattern for us too. I thank you that you don't ask us to go out and do anything. It's about spending time with you, building that foundation in the quiet secret place, receiving from you everything that you want us to go and release in others. So I pray for us today 
Holy Spirit, would you just highlight that one thing, that one thing that you're putting your finger on for us? Whether it's a a way that we can connect again with you. Whether it's the who or the what, who is it that you want us to release all of those things that you've been growing in us over time? What is it that you want us to release? I thank you that every single one of us has something to receive from you and therefore something to release in others. I pray that you would drive that truth deep into our hearts this morning and that you would keep speaking to us about it, that you would give us little light bulb moments this week as we carry on conversations and as we think about all that you are putting into us. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to be your disciple all on our own. Thank you that you are the ultimate discipler and we love spending time with you. I pray that you would help us to prioritise that time over and above everything else. In Jesus' name. Amen.